nice to meet you. If you don't know me, um, I'm Joseph Stad, like he just said. And I have the privilege this morning of sharing the word of the Lord, which is awesome. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our Father. What a privilege it is to be your children, to know you, to have received the love that you have given this world when you gave your only son. And Lord, we do thank you for that. And today as we open your word, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit will speak deep into our hearts. Transform us today. Renew our minds so that we can become good children. Children that truly reflect the wonder of you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible or an app or a phone or you can watch it on the screen, we're going to start in Matthew 26 and verse 31 to 35. It says, this is the night when Jesus was talking to his disciples and getting ready to, to go to the cross. Jesus said to them, after they'd had their communion, the initiation of the communion, like when gave us today, Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. They were being men. I'll not deny you. I'll die with you. And Peter was often their chief spokesman. He had foot and mouth disease. He would open his mouth and put his foot in it many, many times. And the Bible doesn't hide the faults and flaws of human beings. From Genesis to Revelation, it doesn't hide them. But the wonder of our father is, just like an earthly father, he loves his children. And while he might correct and discipline, he still loves them. Just like Wim shared, the father goes out looking every day, even though he's feeling the anguish of his son having become a prodigal. Now, we're going to skip over to verse 69. We want to carry the story of Peter and what, what happens. So in verse 69, Peter sat outside in the courtyard. So Jesus has been taken captive. He's there and they're getting ready to try him and, and obviously send him off to Pilate and he's going to die on the cross. So Peter's come along and he's sitting in the courtyard 
And a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. When he'd gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. What happened to the, I will never deny him. I will die with him. A girl says he was with Jesus. Interesting. Verse 73, a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. He was Galilean, and the Galileans had a little bit of a different sort of nuance to their speaking than those down in Jerusalem. Just like, you know, here in Queensland we have our little ways, and down in South Australia where our pastor comes from, they speak a bit different. It's a bit of a strange place. I lived there for three years, and, and um, two of my daughters were born there, Jacinta, um, who's Pastor Mark's uh, personal assistant, and my eldest daughter, Larissa, who's currently over at Redcliffe, probably finished now. This morning she would have been on Keys. And uh, they were born in Adelaide, and we used to go out to have a picnic. And in Adelaide, when they go out to have a picnic, they're wearing their suits and their ties. And that's not a Queensland thing to do. We go for a picnic in Queensland, we don't wear our suit and ties, do we? No, we put on our jerseys. I've got my jersey on today because it's Jersey Day for Father's Day. And this is, I'm from London. I was born there. Don't hold it against me. Um, my family doesn't. And, uh, but uh, being a Londoner, the Premier League is my favourite sport. And, uh, and my team is in North London. They're the Arsenal Gunners. And so this is one of their one of their shirts that I bought when I was in Cambodia one time on a mission trip. So it's not a real shirt, it's, it's a make-believe one. Anyway, that's the nature of it. The Galileans had a little bit of a different way and you knew you were... The Jerusalem people knew they were Galilean by the way they talked. Surely you are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then... And this, is, this really blew me away when the Lord uh, opened this verse up to me the other day and said, this is what you're preaching at Morayfield. It was actually at our prayer meeting on Monday night. I, I lead the prayer at Warner and we have a prayer meeting every second Monday night. Prayer and intercession. He began to curse and swear, saying... I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. I was reading this passage, and I've read it many, many times. But it like just jumped off the page at me. This verse 74. 
he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Now, obviously, Matthew didn't record the swear words or the curse words. He just recorded the nice sanitized. I do not know the man. And I don't need to give you ideas because if you've been out there in the workplace or at school, um, you get to hear some horrible stuff. Even nowadays, more and more, it's happening on television. You know, nowadays they're miking up the referees in the football. And so you hear the guys and you get the close-ups and you don't need to hear what they're saying. You can read their lips and it's not nice. It's just disgusting. It's disgraceful. Now, growing up, my dad was a London Bobby originally. And... And so he was a decent man. And, uh, but he, he wanted to get out of England. So we went off to Rhodesia, now known as Zimbabwe. This was in 1965. And um, he was a police, top police guy there. But lo and behold, they decided they were going to give the country back to the, to the locals. And people took my dad aside and said you better take your family out of the country because you'll probably end up dead because you represent everything to do with colonial rule, being a top policeman. So I didn't grow up in Zimbabwe. I ended up going back to England. But Dad wanted to get out of there. And so it was either Canada or Australia. And he got a good deal to come to Australia in 19, early 1967. And uh, we, we, we came to Tasmania, to Hobart. Now, that was too much like England. <laughs> Sorry, Tasmanians. Just cold and wet. Um, which is, England's like that. It, it rains a lot in England, but not heavy rain like we get here. It's just a horrible drizzle. And it's cold. And, um, and Dad didn't like Australian police. Sorry to anyone who may be involved in the Australian police. But being a London Bobby, he had certain ethics and standards. He didn't want to have a gun. They didn't have guns when they were walking around London, unless you were in the special forces. You just had your little truncheon. And you had the respect. Of course, it's all different nowadays. But he couldn't stand. He felt there was just such an arrogance in the Australian police force. But he wanted to give Australia a go. And so we got a job with World Book Encyclopedia and we went from Tasmania to Cairns. <laughs> and so I started swimming up in Cairns. But my younger brother, he started developing a skin condition and so Dad had to move us down and Brisbane became our home for a while. Then Dad decided he wanted to try Canada in 1976. That didn't work out. Became a big holiday. We came back to Australia and basically lived here ever since in Brisbane. Apart from I took my family down to Adelaide for three years. But then we came back because we saw the light. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that's a bit of a story. Yeah. That's my life. We got to travel around. We got to see a bit of the world. It was a prophetic word given over my dad when he was a little baby and it wasn't a good prophecy. It was from a gypsy queen that he would be a wanderer. And that's what happened. But thankfully, my dad got saved. Back in 2000 and 
2004, he got saved, or 2003, he got saved, gave his life to the Lord, walked with the Lord until he passed away in 2016. So I'm very grateful. Father's Day for me, well, my dad's in heaven, both of them. My real father and my heavenly father. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I had a father who was ethical and taught me the right way. And eventually he gave his life to Jesus. So as a little boy growing up in a situation like that, for whatever reason, I was a goody-goody. A real goody-goody. I didn't like it when girls got called horrible names at school because they were ugly, you know. I just didn't like it. I don't know why. It just was in me. And I only ever swore twice in my life. Yep. And it was the same day within one minute. It was when I was at Stafford State School, probably grade four or five, and bowling the ball, and the ball came back really hard, and it hurt my hand, and I swore twice. That was the only time, and I was so disgusted with myself. For whatever reason. I wasn't a Christian then. I didn't know anything about it all then. But I was so disgusted with myself. But we had a fire in our kitchen. And the man who came to paint the kitchen to fix it all up happened to be the pastor of a Pentecostal church. So he said to my mum and dad, would you like your children to go to Sunday school? And I guess they had the pangs of conscience, you know, Coming from England, you know, they were nominal Church of England people. We never went to church. I didn't know anything about church. But they must have had some pang of conscience. And, okay, let the kids go to Sunday school. And that's where I heard the stories of Jesus. And even though I was a goody-goody, I came to realise that I needed a relationship with this God in heaven. And so the first night I went along to the youth group, they were talking to God as if they knew him. And I went, wow. So I never went through the normal Pentecostal experience of coming to church and hearing the message and slip your hand up. I never put my hand up any time in church in a response to a gospel message. I just started talking to God because that's what they were doing. But I know for me the crunch came when we went on the youth camp down to Talabudra and we had a guy there who was so on fire for God and he was preaching about tongues. And, and it sounded very interesting and I'd heard it a couple of times at the church service. Didn't really understand what it was. And so here we are at this camp down at Talabudra And I come into a room and there's this man and there's some of the girls from the youth group and they're there and they're speaking in tongues and it freaked me out. And so I turned around and I went down to the trampolines and I jumped up and down. I got off the trampoline, I untied my shoelace and then I tied it back up and then I went, I'm going to go and get that. And so that was for me the decision time. I just started talking to God because... That's what you did at youth group. But that for me was the crunch time where I'm going, I want more of God. So I went into that room and I said, I want 
what these girls have got, what you are preaching about. And thank God he baptized me in the Holy Spirit in that room that day. And my life became totally different. Now, my dad took us to Canada, like I told you, just after that happened. I was super shy. A lot of people would find that hard to believe. But the reality is, I was so shy as a young teenager. So we went to Canada. The church connected with the one I'd got saved in was on the other side of Toronto. So I couldn't get there because I was only 15 years old. And the only thing I could do was read my Bible. I read the Bible in that holiday time, as it turned out, all the way through without anybody telling me what it meant because I didn't go to church anywhere. But when I came back to the church and the youth group that I was involved in, I found it wasn't the same as what I had read in the Bible, especially the book of Acts. And that started me on a journey in my life of wanting to know the truth, of wanting to walk with the Lord, like the Bible said. I want to see what happened in the book of Acts happen. It should be happening in church. Why wasn't it happening in church? That began my journey of getting into the word, of finding out God's way. And as a result of that, when I met my lovely wife, Jeanette, through the university Christian groups, and uh, we got married and we committed ourselves to follow the word in every way, whatever the cost would be, we would seek to do what the word said. And so this little boy that was so shy has walked a path that has been in contradiction to the world because God's ways are not earth's ways. But if we live by God's ways, if we get that word into our heart and God, like Wim said from Romans 12, I present my whole being to you. I want to follow you every day of my life. And so how is this going to really work? What happened to Peter? He was so confident that he would not deny the Lord, that he was ready to die for the Lord. But when the crunch came, Jesus called that night the hour of the power of darkness. You know, in that room when they were having communion, the devil was right there in that room. You can actually read it carefully. You know, Judas is there and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And strangely, all of them are going, oh, is it me? Now, why would men who'd done miracles in the name of Jesus, who'd seen blind eyes opened and lame people walk, they had prayed for them, they'd been involved in incredible miracles, why on that night would they have been going, oh, is it me that's going to betray the Lord? How could they even think that? When all of that they had done, the reason is it was because the hour of the power of darkness. And Satan was literally in that upper room where they were having their communion and their meal with Jesus. He was there. 
It didn't bother Jesus. But the disciples were showing the evidence of how fleshly they were. Because while they're having this room, they're having arguments as who's the greatest. And then when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, they're all going, is it me? How could they think that? They could think that because of the power of darkness that was operating in that room. Even though Jesus is there, the devil was right in that room. And then Jesus says, uh, the one that's going to betray me is the one that I give the sop to. And he gives it to Judas Iscariot. And the scripture says, when the sop was given to Judas Iscariot, Satan entered into him. That's how I know the devil was in the room. People have these strange ideas, you know, that the devil can't come into church. He sends plenty of his demons into churches because he's trying to oppose the gospel. And you can be sitting there and those thoughts that come that are distracting you, they're not just coming from you. They're coming from the enemy of your soul who's here in this room right now. Not personally, I don't think. Satan's too, too big and busy to be coming into Murrayfield, Warn Murrayfield Emerged Church, you know. But he's got his demons coming and they're trying to distract you. They're trying to keep you from understanding the word of God. They're trying to cause you to get in the flesh. We don't have to be afraid of the devil, but we have to be aware of his devices and of, of his works. He was there in that upper room, and as soon as Jesus gave the sop, Satan entered into Judas. Now, Peter spoke out of his, his manly gusto. But remember, Peter was a fisherman. And in his younger days, before he sort of really got on fire for God, when he was out there fishing and he had a bad night, guess what would be coming out of his mouth? Cursing and swearing. But he met Jesus and things were changing in his life. He was doing miracles and signs and wonders. He was following the Messiah. Jesus was going to set up his throne and he was going to be a part of it. You know, James and John, well, they got their mum to go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I've got a request. Can, can my sons sit on both sides of you when you come into your kingdom? And that was one of the times that it really caused a lot of hassle amongst It's amazing how many times you read through the, the Gospels that they're arguing as to who's the greatest. Well, Peter knew he was, because he was the one Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on this rock. Of course, it wasn't Peter. It was what he said. You are the Messiah. So here's Peter. He's been going through this process. He's walking with the Lord. He's, he's following the Messiah. He's going to be a part of this great kingdom that's being established. But Jesus keeps talking about dying. It's amazing how many times you read it in the Gospels that he talks about dying. And it goes right over their heads because they didn't understand. He'd say, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And he said it three or four times. And it went whoop, in one ear, out the other. They didn't comprehend it because it didn't match the paradigm of their Jewish thinking about Messiah. 
And so here he is on this night. I won't deny you. But it's the hour of the power of darkness. And there he was. And the little girl said, oh, you were with this Jesus. Another one said, you must have been one of his followers. And then they all said, but your speech gives you away. You, you come from, you're, you're one of his disciples. And he increasingly intensifies going, I do not know the man. And the language that he used would have been a reflection of his days back out in the boat when everything wasn't working right. Amazing, hey? He'd walked with God, with Jesus personally for three years. But look what came out of his mouth. And then Jesus turned and looked at him when the cock crowed. John records that little detail. And Peter, full of remorse, goes out and weeps bitterly. So what went wrong? Well, we get an insight when Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's jumping back now into verse 36 of chapter 26. Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak again a second time he went away and prayed saying oh my father if the cup cannot pass away from me unless i drink it your will be done and he came and found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy it was the hour of the power of darkness and they were sleepy so he left them, didn't even bother waking them this time, went away again, prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. How did Peter fail? It's because he didn't watch and pray. His eyes were heavy. He wasn't alert. See, to watch is to be alert. He wasn't alert because he didn't understand what Jesus was saying. It's the hour of the power of darkness. So he came with all good intentions that he wouldn't deny the Lord, but he fell asleep. You know, verse 41 is very powerful. Watch and pray. 
lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The title for my message, which I'm giving you right near the end of the message, is Watch and Pray. There are no shortcuts. Watch and pray. There are no shortcuts. There is no shortcut to overcoming. There is no magic wand that can make you overcome. There are no shortcuts. Watch and pray. Peter failed that night because Jesus prophesied that he would. But that prophecy was that coming from the eternal knowledge of God. Because God is eternal. He created time. He's not in time. He is eternal. This is something that the Holy Spirit has been just constantly speaking and reminding me of over the last three years or so. I'll be driving along. I go up to Stanthorpe every now and then to do some work for a particular company. And I love that drive. But regularly I'd be on that drive and I'll see a tree on the side of the road as I'm driving by. And then this thought will come. God has always known that you will see that tree and think about it right now. He's eternal. He knows everything. We can't comprehend that. We're finite, created beings. We are not eternal. We will never be eternal. To be eternal, you have to have no beginning. We get to share in immortality. We have no end, but every one of us has a beginning. But God had no beginning. This is the key to to getting to know God as our Father because once you begin to understand that he's eternal, eternal, infinite, there is no limit to God. He knows everything. The other day, he reminded me of this. And it began, it began when I was doing the dishes one night, about a year ago now. I was doing the dishes. Jeanette had gone to bed and I was doing the dishes. Good Good father, good husband. And, um, and I'm just doing the dishes. And then the Holy Spirit said to me, one prophecy being fulfilled is proof that God is eternal. You know, Jesus quoted a prophecy that we read tonight. I will strike the shepherd, or today, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That comes from the Old Testament. It was a prophecy given in the Old Testament that was fulfilled in Jesus. And there were so many prophecies fulfilled by Jesus, some of which he had no control over as a human being. He had no control over where he was going to be born, Bethlehem, that was prophesied. He had no control over them casting lots for his garments. He had no control over them putting the spear in his side, but all of these things were prophesied. He had no control because he was the one being beaten and whipped. But one prophecy 
being given, and the prophecy of Isaiah 53 was given maybe about uh, 600 BC, so 600 years before Christ. He saw him, you know, hanging on a cross for us. So many of those prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus' life. But one prophecy being fulfilled proves God is eternal. Because how can God know what's going to happen? You know, if I make an error, make, this is the illustration God gave me. If I was to make a paper plane, how can I know exactly where that plane's going to go and how, how well it's going to last? I can only know that if I can totally control it. How can God know everything? Because he's eternal. So the thoughts, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. You think about it. You think about it. He knows everything forever. What you're thinking next week, he already knows. What we're going to be thinking in the millennium, he already knows. What we're going to be thinking forever, he already knows. Nothing will ever be new to God. That's how big he is. That's how much we can trust him. It's incredible. Now, I'm on this journey and it's just taking me so deeper and deeper into my comprehension of how great my God is. And I don't have to worry about anything because he knows it. And he's always known it. Nothing new to God. Now, for us, that would be really boring. And my kids sometimes say to me, Dad, living forever... Isn't it going to get boring? And I've had to try and explain to them, no. When you're playing your Xbox and you play the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again and I hear the same stories over and over and over again, you know, when they're playing their Xbox, you know, I, I frequently will say to Eden, you know, he'll talk to the referee on the Xbox and I say, he can't hear you. But I said to them, when you're playing your Xbox, do you get bored? And basically, no, because you get engaged. Well, that's what it's going to be like in heaven. We're going to be constantly engaged with our heavenly Father who loves us and who knows us. So this is the key. Watch and pray. Peter failed because he fell asleep. Why did he fall asleep? Because he didn't perceive the hour of the power of darkness. We need to understand that we live in a world that is filled with darkness. The fact that anything good happens is amazing because this world is so full of darkness. But there's a day coming very soon when Jesus is going to come back. And set up his kingdom on this earth. And so he tells us we have to watch and pray. Luke 21. We're almost finished. Luke 21. Jesus tells us about this. Beginning in verse 20. Like when this is my electronic Bible. 
They're old-fashioned, old-school. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, verse 20, then know that its desolation is near. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of it depart. Let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword, be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. This happened back in 70 AD. Jesus prophesied it in 30, around about 30 AD. And it happened in 70 AD, exactly as he prophesied. You see, because God is eternal. He knows anything, everything. And if one prophecy has come to pass, it proves that he is eternal. It proves that he knows everything. And it happened in 70 AD. Jerusalem was destroyed by the Roman general Titus and his army. And he goes on to say, there will be signs in the sun. In the moon. So now he's talking about when the times of Gentiles are fulfilled, which is very close because we've seen Israel get her land back in the natural in 1948. Then we saw Israel get Jerusalem back in the natural in 1967. And so we know that these earthly signs, Jesus said, it's like the fig tree, it's telling you summer's near. Get ready. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them from fear. The expectations of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Just like he left in a cloud, went up to heaven in a cloud. He's going to come back on the clouds and every eye will see him. Every eye will behold him. Now when these things begin to come to pass, look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. So then we jump down to verse 34. The warning in this time is take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. And that day comes on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. And to stand before the Son of Man. Look what it says. In the last days. In the time when we're getting ready that Jesus is going to come back and set up his kingdom on earth. Fulfill all the other prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled. But they will come to pass because God's known them forever. In that time, he says, take heed. Learn from Peter. The world is filled with darkness. There is a real devil and he's out there to destroy and kill and steal. And his number one target is Christians, the church of Jesus Christ. The devil spends most of his 
efforts against the church. He's already got the world. He's got them tricked into all sorts of deceptions and delusions, whole nations that, that, that won't eat cow because a cow is a special god to them. I'm speaking of the nation of India. Deception. Deception. All across this world, people who believe that they came from monkeys. Unbelievable deception. And if you stand up and say you believe that God created everything, you believe in marriage between a man and a woman, you believe that babies from conception are real human beings, how do we get treated? Our world is calling evil good and good evil. We live in the last days. So take heed. Don't get caught up in the things of this life. Don't let the things of the world and your past drag you back. And how are you going to avoid that? You've got to be watching and praying. Be on the alert constantly vigilant and that's why we come to church Hebrews 10 says so we can encourage one another and stir one another to love and to good works and make sure that we're watching to make sure no one is falling into the sin of bitterness or unforgiveness make sure that no one is giving place to the devil make sure that everyone is on the alert fighting the good fight of faith and the number one gauge, the number one gauge of your Christian walk is your prayer life. There is no shortcut. There is no shortcut. Jesus modeled that. He modeled it. Every day he would get aside and pray. The disciples noticed. He knew he was going to the cross. He had to go and pray. He prayed deep prayers. He prayed so intensely that he began to sweat drops of blood as he was striving against the evil in the world. This is God manifested in the flesh, but he had to fight, fight, fight. He modeled it every day to his disciples. There are no shortcuts Coming to the front and getting hands laid on you is a wonderful thing to do regularly. But it will not change your life if you don't spend time every day talking to your Father in heaven. You can't see him. It takes faith. But praise God for the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. I will never forget that day where I got baptised in the Holy Spirit. I've been through some tough things, some horrendous things in my life. I mean, I've just turned 61, so I'm sort of half senior. <laughs> but I'm believing from a young child a teenager that gave his life to the Lord and got into the Word and sees 
that God is going to come back. And I believe we are the generation that is living to see it. We've got those signs of Israel and Jerusalem. We've got so many signs. We know it's close. And I believe there's going to be a great revival in Australia and in this world. A final chance for the world to see the glory of God. The only way that the Antichrist can rise is because the world rejects the final move of God. It's about to happen. But there are no shortcuts. It's every day. Watch and pray. It doesn't have to be, you know, hours and hours of prayer every day. It's living in an attitude of prayer. When you're in your car, pray in tongues. Pray in tongues. It's been the key to my life. Praying in tongues. Because it bypasses my mind. I don't have to think about it. I just, my mind now gets trained. Oh, he's praying in tongues again. Okay, let's just chill here. The wonderful thing about praying in tongues is you don't know the words. They're God's words. The Spirit gives the words. They're perfect prayers. I don't know what to pray for in English most of the time. You know, I coordinate the prayer at Warner. I get all these requests. I don't know how to pray about most of these things. Just, Lord, I commit it to you. And then I start praying in tongues. Because that's God's words being prayed. Watch and pray. You know, I want to encourage you here at Murrayfield. And I believe there is a bit of a measure of it happening. I know there was a season there before COVID where you were having regular prayer meetings. I want to encourage you. Don't wait for Pastor Joseph to initiate these things, just like he talked about some of these other things, um, the men's group and whatever. The pastor's job is to be in the word and prayer and caring for his flock. He did, he's not the one that has to make everything happen, you know. He's not the one that calls the prayer meetings and, and calls the men's meetings and whatever. And Joe does a lot of stuff. Oh, I called him Joe. How about that? <laughs> he does a lot of stuff. He works hard. I know. I'm his dad. I know. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Prayer is so important and corporate prayer, when you come together, is actually many ways easier than closet prayer. I know that myself. I know that my prayer life has got to get a lot better. But I don't get upset about it. I rest in the goodness of God. Watch and pray. There are no shortcuts. But if you watch and pray, you will be accounted worthy to escape all the bad things that are going to come on this earth. And you will stand before the Son of Man and he'll say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a few things. And that's all we can ever be. We're only ever going to be faithful in a few things because we're such finite, fickle human beings.
But thank God, you know, just like Peter, we might deny the Lord, we might fail, we might fall, but he will always call us back. Unless you're a Judas Iscariot, but that's not too many of them. Not too many sons of perdition. And I'm beloved, I'm confident of better things of you. That you have been called, just like the book of Hebrews says. There's a lot of warnings in Hebrews, but those warnings are designed to encourage us. Stay away from the cliff. Stay on the path. Watch and pray. Thank you.